This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here like we usually do. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing well, Brendan. I'm doing well, and we are back to talking about the Kings today. Uh, We've got someone that our listeners all know from the Locked On podcast, Locked On Kings podcast, and you know him from KHTK. He's an on-air personality. He's a reporter in the locker room, and he has also been ramping up a lot of his written work over on the KHTK blog. It's Matt George. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing okay right now. Currently watching my uh, my Oakland A's losing to the San Francisco Giants in the Bay Bridge series, so that certainly could be better, at least at the time of this recording, but... Uh, mm-hmm. August is my least favorite month of the year, guys, just because there's just nothing basketball going on. And NFL preseason is absolutely boring. Thank God we have hard knocks, at least for the Raiders to carry us through. Uh, but thankfully, we'll get through this. September is the start of uh, football season officially and NBA training camps. And then that gets us into the best time of the year, which is October uh, and uh, opening night of the Sacramento Kings season. Yeah, so correct me if I'm wrong, but we got... Kings, A's, and Raiders for yourself, right, Matt? That is correct. So I've been very abused in my lifetime. <laughs> Rich, I don't know what your baseball and football team is. You know, I have had a lot of trouble with the NFL recently. Uh, obviously, the you know all the injuries and all the, especially the head injuries. You know, this is pretty yeah. topical with Andrew Luck retiring yesterday, but. I've had a tough time uh, enjoying football in the recent years, but I grew up a Niners fan and I am, I can still currently identify as a San Francisco Giants fan. And I'll also say that I think I got into, I definitely got into football and baseball as well before I got into basketball. But is that the same experience for you, Matt, or was it basketball first? Uh, basketball was absolutely my first love. Uh, my uncle introduced me to the Sacramento Kings, took me to my first Kings game when I was six years old. I still remember the game. It was Sacramento Kings versus Los Angeles Clippers inside Arco Arena, and I became infatuated, as many did immediately, uh, with Jason Williams, and that was when the Clippers were absolute garbage, which they're not anymore. Uh, so the Kings obviously won that game and I was very spoiled. I grew up, my childhood years were with the greatest show on court and one of the best uh, teams ever, and then of course, they've transitioned into this 13-plus year playoff drought that we're currently in, but that I believe, honestly, is going to be coming to an end by this time uh, next year. So it's been a good ride for me as a Sacramento Kings fan. It's been certainly ups and downs, but to be able to uh, to cover and work professionally um, in a Sacramento media position, to be able to work around and, and be able to 
uh, spend my my daily life paying attention to what the Kings are doing for a career is, is certainly a dream come true for me. Yeah, definitely. And like you mentioned, it's nice to be able to say that there's hope of making the playoffs this year, finally coming back and in that drought. Um, obviously, you got into covering the team, but did you start with, were you playing basketball yourself for a while as well, or were you just kind of a watcher and a fan? Uh, I always enjoyed playing. I wouldn't say that I was good by any means. Um, I, I'd like to believe, and this is one of the things that a couple of my coaches told me, but this doesn't mean much uh, for a, a little league basketball team. Uh, I was always told that I was the smartest player on the floor. And by that, I mean, I always understood the game because I studied the game and, and I was in love with the game uh, from a very, very young age. And I watched Kings basketball and saw the power of passing and cutting and moving off of the ball. And I, I absorbed that and learned that and tried to uh, replicate that on a basketball floor. So uh, I was, I guess, wiser past my years and my youth playing basketball, but I didn't have the actual, you know, uh, talent uh, to be able to actually make a, a, a career out of it following or, or beyond like freshman year in high school. So uh, playing basketball was always fun and recreational, but talking basketball and thinking basketball, that's where I was at my most competitive. Yeah, absolutely. And you have made a career out of that. And I was wondering if that was something you knew you wanted to do, like right out of high school. Was it, did you go into college thinking, you know, I'm going to go into broadcasting or, or what was your path like, uh, when you were, you were just entering college there? I knew exactly what I wanted to do in high school. Uh, I would say the day that I realized I knew that I wanted to cover the Kings and work in in Sacramento media was my uh, junior year in high school when I had the uh, privilege to attend uh, Kings Media Day. And I can't remember what year that was, but it was DeMarcus Cousins and Omri Caspi's rookie year. Uh, So to be able to attend Media Day, then also at Arco Arena, Sleep Train Arena, Power Bounce Berlin, whatever the hell we call it, it was... Then getting to experience that and and be a part of the media and, and talk with those players in that environment that made me realize, yes, this is absolutely what I wanted to do. But freshman year, I got involved with school newspaper writing uh, sports stories covering uh, Wood Creek Timberwolf uh, in Roseville, Wood Creek Timberwolf football and basketball and things like that. So I started to really get my feet wet there. But by junior year, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And by uh, my freshman year in college, I was uh, picking a smaller school, William Joseph University, where I could actually do play-by-play and, and get reps uh, rather than sit in a classroom and learn about it. And, and make no mistake about it, learning journalism in a classroom is extremely important. Uh, but one thing that I've been told, and, and you'll hear a lot in this industry in general, is that repetitions are what's most important. So I was able to get repetitions as a, uh, a play-by-play broadcaster as a freshman in college. Couldn't turn that down. It led to an internship at KHDK, and then here I am today. Yeah, I was going to ask about KHTK, kind of seeing that as the next step. And was it just, you know, going online, there was an opening for an intern? And what was your experience like there? Because that seems like that was your foot in the door to bigger steps, right? Yeah, no, there's no chance that I ever would have gotten an internship by just an online application. I uh, I reached out to Jason Ross, who's my, my current boss now, longtime host at, at KHTK, also longtime color commentator for Sacramento Kings radio broadcast. Uh, with G-Man Gary Gerald, and uh, I met with him at a Laboo by the, um, or off of Madison Avenue by our old KHDK studios, and I just asked him to speak to me and, and, and teach me and share lessons with me and give me some advice. I was in college at the time, and 
Uh, he met with me and then spoke to Grant Napier's producer. Her name was uh, Jody Bacon. Uh, and uh, I woke up one morning to a, a text message from Jody. She had got my number from Jason, a text message from Jody saying that um, they were looking for an intern. And if I was interested, I said yes, had an interview with uh, Jody and, and then became one of Grant's interns. And I was actually the last intern that we had at KHDK before internships, unfortunately, uh, were pushed away and, and, and taken away, which is an absolute travesty. They need to bring internships back. So uh, young men and young women like myself can be able to, or that were like me, uh, get those opportunities to get into the radio industry. I wouldn't be anywhere uh, without my internship. That's something that I've heard a lot recently. Uh, I'm a guy who just signed his uh, student loans uh, in a journalism major over at Sac State just earlier this week. And it's been repeatedly said to me, that's great. You you should study journalism. You should learn all those uh, all those skills. But if you're not busting your butt, uh, you know, on the ground doing what you need to do to make the connections and, and learn the skills in real life, it's not going to serve you anything. So I've certainly taken that to heart. But uh, yeah, I, I am a big fan of uh, Jason Ross. And is it, did you take over for him on uh, straight straight away? Did it go from him to you with the Locked On Kings po- uh, Locked On Kings podcast? It did, yeah. So he was a, a host of the podcast for a little over a year, but he is the man of of many talents. And and by that I mean he's a program director for uh, Sports Eleven Forty KHDK. Uh, then at the time he was also the host of the midday show, but now he's one of the hosts of the morning show, The Drive, at least temporarily. He then does uh, Sac State football play-by-play, and then, of course, his duties with the Sacramento Kings. So he balances and manages a lot of things. He's also a father and a husband. Uh, so he's got 19 full-time jobs, it would seem. Uh, so for him to be able to pass that torch on to me and to think of me as someone to take over that podcast was was truly humbling, truly exciting. I took over a brand that was already not super established, but it was well off the ground by the year that Jason Ross had. And thankfully, a lot of those listeners decided when I uh, came along to, to stick around with me and to uh, uh, continue with the podcast. And I'm very thankful for that. The numbers have been growing ever since. And it's become a, a daily area for me to scream, <laughs> scream, yell, talk, laugh, cry, enjoy uh, just the, the Kings and uh, do the thing that I love, which is talking to Kings fans and uh, Kings media members and just national NBA media members about the Sacramento Kings and the NBA. Yeah, and you do a great job on the show. Um, some of the differences is that a lot of the times, you know, Rich and I are always having a conversation. We'll have another guest on on top. There's times where you're doing episodes by yourself. Can you speak to kind of how difficult that is and being able to find a flow and keep it sounding smooth when it's only one person going. And then also you do it more regularly than we do. I believe locked on most of the time is five days a week. And then during the off season, you slow down to the three. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it is it's, it's trial and error and, and I certainly haven't mastered the, the art form by any means, but uh, when it's just by yourself, you have to make sure that you're still being conversational and you're having a conversation directly with uh, your listener, which is difficult at times. But depending upon the the topic which you're talking about, uh, it's it's very it's a very fine line between having a conversation and ranting to someone and talking down to someone. That's certainly something that I I struggle with, and I've uh, not um, done my best on from time to time throughout uh, my short career with the podcast and at KHDK in general. 
Uh, but doing one-man shows is certainly a, a skill set and art form and can be a lot of fun at times, especially when there are certain things that you want to discuss or that you're passionate about. Uh, thankfully, because we do the daily um, podcasts during the regular season, during the off-season, we try and do about two or three a week. Uh, but the daily podcast and the regular season are never, we try to keep them under half an hour. So it's not like I'm speaking. I know you guys do longer form or hour long podcasts. If I were to do our podcast daily by myself, one, I'd run out of material immediately. And two, I wouldn't have any vocal cords left. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's certainly an art form, but it's a lot of fun and something that I've been able to develop. And I tell you what, you host a podcast consistently or you host a radio show consistently by yourself. You'll learn one that you'll become a weirdo that talks to yourself a lot. And but you'll certainly develop your uh, vocabulary skills and you'll uh, you'll learn and grow every single day. That's for sure. Yeah, well, I'm already a weirdo who talks to himself, so uh, maybe maybe that would work for me. But I'll tell you also, uh, I, I I think that one thing that I would assume comes from uh, doing the one man shows, maybe it's it's to keep yourself engaged at times and certainly to keep listeners engaged as well. But I think that you have uh, made a mark in my mind as someone who takes a lot of bold stances, uh, goes out on a limb at times, gives some hot takes. And I think that uh, that's even when those hot takes are very positive, the the optimist uh, takes that you have, the optimist bets that you made last year at KHTK, uh, is that something you like to hang your hat on? Or, or do you think that I'm right on it, it and identifying that as one of your calling cards? Uh, it certainly is. I mean, if, 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 the biggest insult or the biggest uh, issue that people have with me is that I'm too positive. That's something certainly I can live with, but it's important to make sure that you still are somewhat authentic. And while I do like to go over the top for em- entertainment purposes at times, when it comes to like a blind optimist angle and the fact that I got a King's Jersey last year that said optimism on the back, like that's being entertainment or for entertainment value going over the top. But it's all rooted in a genuine belief. And last year, I wasn't just spitting nonsense with the idea that I thought this Kings team could be good. Now, I did not predict them to win 39 games, but I saw 24, which is what Vegas pegged them as. And I thought, you know, that's, that is absurd with this young core that the Kings have. I believe De'Aaron Fox was a star. Clearly, he is uh, and still has a lot of room to grow, which is exciting. I thought Marvin Bagley was going to be a great pick, even though he wasn't Luka Doncic. And we know how, uh, how crazy that got. So... The optimism angle was something that I really embraced and something that I do not just as a like an entertainment purpose, but also as a coping mechanism. I mean, remember, I'm I'm in the trenches with Kings fans. Uh, I'm a diehard fan myself, and I I grew up a diehard fan. And and while my career is very important to me and I try to be as professional and fair and unbiased as possible, uh, I will always have that loyalty to the Kings. That was my first love in all professional sports. So 13 plus years of no playoffs having some optimism on your side or enjoying the little things like De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley and Harry Giles. Uh, those are uh, things that, that allow me to cope and that get me through. Um, so I want everybody to understand that, that listen to me, that the optimism side of things isn't just a bit. I mean, it, it is authentic and it's something that that's for real. And I know also through that optimism angle that I've, I've made enemies or mistakes at times or people that uh, maybe are on the more pessimist side. I've, I've, tried to avoid rubbing their nose in it, but I know that's something that I've uh, partaken in before that I'm not necessarily proud of. Uh, but it's it's all in, it's all rooted in the same thing. Whether you're a pessimist or an optimist here in Sacramento, we're all desperate for this team to be good again. Uh, and finally, it looks like we have that light at the end of the tunnel. 
Yeah, and you touched on the over-under for last season, feeling pretty confident taking over. I th- I would guess that all of us are going to say over on their 37 win total that's projected this year. I'm wondering what your, what your optimist point of view here is. I would assume you're taking over, like I said, but what sort of number are you feeling for next season? Yeah, no, I'm pounding that over as hard as I possibly can. I put them in the mid-40s, uh, mid to high 40s in terms of win total. I believe this team's going to take that next step, and that means individual and as a team, as a group. And I know they didn't get the sexiest names in free agency, Dwayne Dedman. I mean, bringing back Harrison Barnes, even though a lot of people don't like that contract, I think was an absolute home run for this team. Uh, Corey Joseph, Trevor Ariza, not names that jump off the page for you, especially when we heard the Kings were involved in like Al Horford and Tobias Harris rumors. But they did what they needed to do, and that was plug the holes, and they they stuck to the plan, which was always this team was only going to go as far as De'Aaron Fox, Marvin Bagley, and the young core took them. And Blotting knew that, he was aware of that, and he wasn't willing to throw $35 million a year at a 32-year-old center in Al Horford. And that's something, you know, I admire uh, and I appreciate because it was always going to be about the young kids, and that's how it should remain. And I believe this young team is going to be taking that next step along with the veterans and the, uh, the hole fillers that they brought in. Uh, this is going to be a 45 plus one team, in my opinion. And hopefully, I mean, I know the West is certainly stacked. I believe that'll be enough for them to be at worst an eighth seed, hopefully maybe even a seventh seed, uh, by the end of this season. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see how the West shakes up. But here's the thing. There are a lot of juggernaut teams in the Western Conference. I know, I don't believe, I know that the Kings can compete on a nightly basis with every single one of them. That's going to translate to wins. That's going to translate to uh, catching some teams by surprise. That's going to translate to some uh, some gritty performances and some tough defeats at times. But it's also going to mean a very exciting season. Absolutely. And I think that uh, it's been established that myself and Brandon, Brandon, we agree with you on the over for sure, uh, that doesn't feel like a hot take at this point. But while we have you here, we want to take this opportunity to to kind of go outside of our own comfort zones and to kind of make some hot takes, uh, give some predictions out here, some bold predictions, if you will. Uh, maybe that 45 win mark, that could be considered a hot take. We've had some people on here before that have even gone higher. So uh, we will leave the – this is how we want to do it. I want to give a hot take, and Brendan as well. We want to kind of go back and forth, and we want you to judge the heat of our takes. So we want to give uh, a bold prediction, and if you will be so kind to tell us uh, if that is mild, medium, or spicy on that take. Uh, is that some, are, you, are you game for this? I'm, I'm in for it. Let's do it. Hey, guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, We'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we'd love to interact with you. We can take your questions, answer them on the podcast as well. That is at Kings underscore Pulse. We also got an Instagram, Kings underscore Pulse. And we are the official podcast of uh, Reddit r slash Kings. We got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions. So we really appreciate it, and, and thank you very much for listening. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. 
Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. For me, I just want to preface this by saying I have not had one critical word to say about the Kings all summer because I have been, I was so impressed with their free agent signings. I have been so impressed with their results from last year. I am going to take this time to push myself towards some critiques, towards some pessimism. And I'm sure, Matt, you'll have uh, a different reaction than I do, and and maybe that will qualify as some hot takes for you. But just want to preface that uh, going in that overall, I feel very good about this team, feel very good about where uh, the Kings are headed. But I'm going to push myself to be a little bit critical here. So I'm going to start it off with a take that I don't see as too crazy. Uh, but you tell me. My first hot take is that Trevor Ariza, the signing of Trevor Ariza in the future will be viewed as a disappointment. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, can I ask a follow-up question to that disappointment? How so? As in like a waste of money or an absolute catastrophic failure? What, what classifies as disappointment? So I will not say a catastrophic failure, but I will say that this is my, my hot take is that looking back a couple of years from now, looking back, Kings fans in general will feel like, man, we could have gotten someone that just, that fit better. We didn't need to go with someone that was quite so old, didn't quite, he didn't put it together on the court. And they'll think back and then think, what could it, you know, think about what could have been uh, using that 12.5 million this season a little bit better. All right, so almost like a George Hill situation, right? Okay, uh, so my gut reaction, my honest reaction to that, um, my opinion on that entire situation is, to me, that's a mild take uh, because I don't think Trevor Ariza is being brought in for the Sacramento Kings squad to be anything more than a maximum 15 minutes a night backup for Harrison Barnes that is hopefully a good locker room presence and a good veteran presence for this team. Uh, someone who has been to the playoffs before and hopefully will provide a little of that, that playoff vibe and playoff feel and, and help the young players understand a playoff race and hopefully what a postseason is, uh, if they end up reaching it. So I don't think too many fans, I hope too many fans aren't hanging their hats on Trevor Reza to be, uh, a success or a massive difference maker here in Sacramento. Uh, cause I, I, I certainly don't believe Luke Walton and the Kings view him in such a sense. So if they're going to be disappointed, I can understand with the fact that the Kings are paying him around 13 million a year or whatever it is. I can understand disappointment there. Uh, but I don't know what fans expectations are for Trevor Ariza to think that it's a catastrophic signing. And you know, that 15 minutes per game is interesting to me because Rich and I have kind of looked at it before and going back to 2012, 13, is the last year where he played under 33 minutes. So to me, like the lack of defense that we saw from him last year felt like a lack of effort. And we're hoping that it was playing on worse teams. But I think playing half the amount of minutes, even if he's seeing, uh, uh, my guess would be 2022 sort of range, that you're going to see more effort out of him. And I kind of feel like it's a low risk signing since it really could be a one year with the non guaranteed on the second. A low-risk signing is absolutely correct for Trevor Reza. The only thing high-risk is the amount of cap space that he's eating up for this one year. Uh, and, and I know a lot of people judge signings based off of money. Um, but the Kings had a very serious problem, and that was that they had to reach the salary floor. <laughs> and that's 
that's something that a lot of teams don't view as a problem. But for the Kings, they had a lot of money to spend, and they had to make sure that they got players, one, they wanted here, and two, that they spent enough money in order to reach that floor, which is one of the reasons why they were so willing to throw that much money, in my opinion, at Ariza uh, and at Corey Joseph and, and players like that. Yes, I totally view him as a low-risk signing. Um, the, the best-case scenario that you're going to get out of him is he does provide some pretty uh, significant defensive presence and maybe shoots 35, 36. 6% from three-point range in his limited time on the floor. Uh, he was very important to the Houston Rockets and their defense a couple of years ago, especially when they were trying to dethrone the Warriors in uh, in the playoffs. But I don't judge Ariza too much on what happened last year, starting with the Suns, that being a disaster, and then being traded, I believe, to the uh, Wizards, or maybe it was vice versa. I honestly don't remember. Um, but either way, those are two very bad situations to be in last year, so I don't blame a veteran at all for not being happy or giving his all for those two bottom feeder teams. My take will be that the Sacramento Kings will finish top 10 in free throw attempts in the league next year. They were 19th last season at 22.7, and I'm actually going to go top five here because fifth is 25.3. It's a little under three more attempts per game. And to me, Marvin Bagley at 4.2, he's going to get more opportunity. Fox at 5.1, looks like he got a little stronger and is going through contact. I think Kings are going to end up top five in free throw attempts. Uh, if you said top 10, I would have said medium. Top five is definitely a spicy take. Uh, that's a massive jump, and that would require a lot of respect being shown to De'Aaron Fox, which we're hoping uh, that the officials will finally start to recognize Fox as the star that he is and give him some of that star treatment that James Harden and other uh, stars in the league get. De'Aaron Fox gets banged around every time he makes his way to the rim, and he did do a better job his sophomore season at getting to the line more, and I expect that to continue. So if the Kings are going to jump all the way to top five in the league in free throw shooting, it'll have to be because De'Aaron Fox is getting to the line ten times a game. Also, Buddy Heald has been more aggressive attacking the basket. Maybe he I can get to the line a lot, and maybe uh, Marvin Bagley will get some star treatment when he's banging in the low post. So we'll just have to uh, wait and see with that, but that's certainly a, a spicy take. Getting all the way up to top five, I don't think it's unachievable, uh, but it's going to take a lot of help, from, uh, a lot of help from the officials. Yeah, that is extremely hot. I will say because, uh, like you mentioned, Brendan, the Kings were 19th in that stat last year, but the season previous to that, they were 30th, dead last. And not only were they dead last in that season, they recorded the lowest in history, uh, uh, free throw attempts per 100 possessions in the history of the NBA. So to go from worst ever, to top five this upcoming season would be massive. So I like it. I like that we're getting into some hot takes. And I'm going to ramp it up. Uh, my, my first one, I agree. I was staying a little bit safe. I'm going to get a little bit hotter here. And it pains me genuinely to throw this one out there. It's going to be hard for me to form these words because everyone knows Harry Giles is my favorite player. I'm a huge Harry Giles fan. I wore a Harry Giles jersey during my wedding, for goodness sake. But I'm just going to say it. Harry Giles, the hype is out of control. He is being, Harry Giles is being overhyped. I think that is a medium take. And uh, part of me agrees with you, if I'm being honest, Richard. Like, And, and this is the thing. I'm, I'm right there with you. Harry Giles is a phenomenal story. He is probably the easiest guy on the planet 
uh, to root for. He has an amazing personality, a very great connection with Kings fans, obviously, already. An, an incredible work ethic. He's a phenomenal teammate. Harry Box, or Harry Child checks, uh, checks all the boxes that you want, uh, from a young man, uh, for a community. And when, uh, when you heard Vlade Divac a number of years ago talking about bringing in a locker room guys that are just good human beings, good teammates. Harry Giles is absolutely perfect for that scenario. However, we have not seen nearly enough from Harry Giles to suggest that he's going to be an NBA starter. I have a problem when I hear people talk about him as a future star because we haven't seen enough. Now, he's gotten incredible praise from his teammates. And I, uh, when you hear the stuff that Vince Carter said about Harry Giles, uh, Harry's Technically rookie season, even though he didn't play, uh, he was just practicing with the team. Vince Carter was praising almost everything that Harry Giles did. And coming from a, a guy, a legend like Vince Carter, that carries a lot of weight to it. So I'm not diminishing that uh, whatsoever. We also heard a lot of great things about Harry Giles, his, uh, his, his play in practice uh, with uh, from the coaching staff and from his other teammates. But we have not seen nearly enough of NBA action from him to suggest that he is going to be a superstar. Now, I'm not saying that he can't be whatsoever, but I need to see a lot more before I'm ready to say, yes, Harrison Barnes is up there with Marvin Bagley and De'Aaron Fox as a future star of this team. Here's a potentially hot take for you. I don't know if you agree with this or disagree with this. Everybody's pegging Harry Giles to be the starting center for this Kings team. I certainly hope that happens. My opinion, it won't happen this year. I think Dwayne Dedman is going to be the starting center for the Kings all season long, and hopefully it'll be next year, 2020-2021, uh, when we're looking at Harry Giles as the full-time starter. I agree with you. I think Dedman clearly should be the starting center. I think he does everything that you want from a center, especially for this team. Runs the floor, spaces, rim protects, rebounds. Uh, I have a take that kind of fits with this, is I think that Rashawn Holmes will get more minutes than Harry Giles. And part of that will be some injuries. But I also think that, like you guys are saying, Giles just needs a little longer. I like all the tools, but I think that Holmes is going to have a major impact when he plays. And I think by the end of the year, he'll have more total minutes than Harry Giles. That's a pretty spicy take. And I, I, I like it. I think it's interesting. It creates good conversation because, look, Rashawn Holmes wasn't brought in here to be the third guy on the end of the bench that... Uh, gets maybe five minutes a night in a blowout. Like that might end up how it, it, or that might be what ends up happening for him if Harry Giles is as good as we hope he is and Dwayne Dedman is the starter that we hope he is. But Rashawn Holmes is a gamer. He's a fighter. And, and in my opinion, he's had a more impressive NBA career and he's done more in his NBA career so far than Harry Giles has. That's no disrespect to Harry Giles. That's just the way it is. Um, now we all believe, all of us believe that Harry Giles can and will be a better player than Rashawn Holmes. So let's not pretend uh, that that is the case. But Rashawn Holmes did a lot that the Kings so desperately needed last year that also abused them last year. Rashawn Holmes destroyed the Kings when the Kings played the Suns last year. And Rashawn Holmes is the perfect, uh, Kenneth Fareed type, uh, player that just, uh, plays with that animal instinct and, and goes after every rebound and, and every dunk or every block shot like it's his last uh, the last one that he's ever going to get in his career. And the Kings love that, need that, and certainly can use that. So I don't think it's super out of uh, right field to suggest that um, Rashawn Holmes could play more minutes than Harry Giles. But I do know for a fact that the Kings are super high on Harry and have high hopes for him and are going to give him more uh, than enough opportunity uh, to show that he belongs. So I think it's more likely that Rashawn Holmes takes like Nemanja Bialica's minutes 
the Kings are going to find a way to get Harry Giles out there. But if your take comes true that Rashawn ends up playing more minutes than Harry on average throughout this season, uh, that's certainly a spicy take. All right. Now it's time for me to break out the big guns. Uh, I got to go big here. I got to get a, I got to get a true spicy take in. So, okay. Mouth is burning a little bit just, just with this one, but all right. Let's talk about Buddy Heald for a second. Okay. Last season, 20 point, over 20 points per game. Uh, tremendous efficiency on a huge volume of shots. Eight threes a game attempted, 43% made. Almost at 50% on his twos. Uh, he, he's, it was his breakout year. The scouting report is going to be more thorough on him in the future. He's not necessarily the focus of this team going forward regarding the cornerstones like Fox and Bagley. My, my hottest take that I can get right now is that Buddy Heald, going to be 27 years old, his best season is behind him. It was last season. His best season of his career will be last season. So my heart says spicy because I want to disagree with you and fight you for saying such a thing. Uh, but my uh, my mind says, honestly, medium. It's very difficult for Buddy Heald to top what he did last year. It, it, it's honestly going to be very, very difficult to shoot. Uh, in the, the mid-40s uh, from three-point range is not easy to do by any means. Uh, and teams are also now very aware that Buddy Heald is one of the top offensive, top three-point threats in- that cherishes and celebrates three-point shooting. So I guarantee you, Buddy Heald is going to be the guy that a lot of teams are putting their best defender on on a nightly basis for the Kings, certainly uh, to start this season. So I don't think it's impossible to believe that the best uh, season is behind uh, Buddy Heald. But if he can remain consistent with what he's been doing over the last two years, uh, the Kings are certainly going to be pleased with that. But that's what my mind tells me. My heart tells me that Buddy Heald is a gamer. Buddy Heald is a beast. Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox are going to eventually turn into one of the best backcourts, if not the best backcourt uh, in the NBA at some point uh, in their uh, their career together. I'm not worried about the fact that Buddy Heald is 26, 27 years old. He's still, if he's just now hitting his prime, all the better for the Sacramento Kings. And that means he's got two, three, four prime years uh, in him which is very exciting based off of the Sacramento Kings timeline. So again, my heart says spicy, but my mind says medium with that entire situation, Rich. I just hope uh, you're wrong. Interesting. So then maybe we can do this. Who do you think is going to be the top points per game guy next year? Like, is it spicy for me to say, I think Buddy will still be the top guy? I don't think so. Actually, I don't think so at all. I think it's going to be De'Aaron Fox, but I think it's going to be really, really close. I think Fox and Buddy Heald are going to both have to be 20-plus point-per-game scorers uh, if the Kings want to uh, be a playoff team. Uh, and Marvin Bagley might be close to 20, maybe around the 18-19 point range if this team wants to be a playoff team. Uh, but De'Aaron Fox should be the leading scorer on this team. Hopefully, he will continue to add that three-point shot to his game. We'll get to the line a lot more. The Kings are ready for De'Aaron Fox to be an all-star, to be a superstar, and to carry this team. And... One of the things that he worked on a lot from last offseason to the start of last season that, that translated onto the floor was his ability to run an offense and, and to pass and, and get assists and get his teammates and hit his teammates on cuts or in the right situations. And that's awesome to see. We wanted to see that. We, we needed to be proved, or we needed De'Aaron to prove that he could be a point guard and he could run an offense and he could be a floor general. Now he's proven that. 
I'm ready for him to continue to be that floor general, but also be that go-to superstar, that guy taking the big shot at the end of the game, that guy that's leading you when everybody else is having a bad uh, shooting night. He can go Jamal Murray on you, and he can get you 40 points on any given night. We haven't seen that yet, really, uh, from De'Aaron. So I'm expecting him to be that guy. I'm expecting an all-star season from him. Uh, he should be the Kings' leading scorer if they want to be a playoff team. You know, I'll just throw this in there before you throw out your third and final take here, Brendan. Uh, for me, for me, my money's on Bagley. I think Bagley's a 20 and 10 guy and perhaps Buddy drops down to 19 and, and Fox maybe around 18. He should be focused more on facilitating the other players on the team. But, uh, that was just my two cents on the matter. And I didn't even think of 20 and 10 as a hot takes. I, I think that it's the mildest it takes. Uh, you know, it's all there for him if he gets the minutes, but I will digress and, uh, and hand off to you there, Brendan. All right, yeah, my next one is going to revolve around Bagley here also. Last year, his offensive rebounds, 2.6 a game. He was 24th in the league. I think he takes the jump into top 12 with getting more minutes. And the 12th is, the mark is 3.1, which is what DeAndre Jordan was sitting at. Hmm, interesting. Say that one more time for me all the, all the way through so I, I make sure I got everything. Yep, so Marvin Bagley, offensive rebounds, 2.6 per game last year. He finished 24th in the NBA in offensive rebounds per game. I think he takes a jump into top 12, and 12th was DeAndre Ayton at 3.1. I think that's a mild, uh, well, mild to medium. I don't think that's impossible for him. He's going to have to. Uh, be the leading round rebounder on this Kings team if they want to be an effective rebounding team, especially with Dwayne Dedman playing on the perimeter. The offensive rebound opportunities, other than Buddy Heald's random backdoor cuts to the basket and tip dunks that he's been trying to add to his uh, his uh, repertoire, a lot of that's going to be on Marvin Bagley himself. And we know Marvin has that incredibly quick second jump. He's freakishly athletic. Hopefully he's put on uh, the weight to be able to uh, to bang his way down low with some of the bigger uh, centers and power forwards in the league to be able to work to get into position. But with his motor, his athleticism, I think uh, becoming an offensive rebound machine around three offensive boards per game is very achievable for him. Uh, and uh, hopefully he'll be able to accomplish that. Yeah, I got to go mild on that too, because Bagley is owner of one of the best second jumps in the in the world uh and he is already a fantastic offensive rebounder i might spice that up by saying that at some point in his career Bagley will lead the league in offensive rebounds but but let's go back to the the uh hot take expert here with matt do you have any that you want to give to us and maybe maybe we can uh we can tell you if we think that they're hot or not yeah, and I don't know if these are the spiciest takes, but again, my takes come from an area of true belief. I don't just put them out there just to be controversial. I, I de- genuinely believe in these three, and I'll start with this first one. And this one's, I think, a pretty medium take right out of the gate. I think the Kings are a playoff team. I think the Kings are at best a seventh seed this year. I think by by the time we reach uh, end of April, beginning of May, the Kings will be uh, playing some playoff games inside the Golden 1 Center, and the drought will absolutely come to an end this year. I'll say that I think. And I get where you're coming from. I think I agree. I think it's a medium. I'd say that I think they're that eight seed just because I don't know who they're knocking out here. To me, it's San Antonio and actually OKC as well. But I think the Lakers take OKC's spot, at least one of those two. And then they're fighting for that eight. 
Is there another team that you kind of see towards the bottom where that they could jump above into seventh? I really don't want to disrespect the Golden State Warriors, but I can see a scenario where they're down there, potentially able to be caught. Also, uh, this might be a, a pretty hot take and might offend some people in Portland, but I don't see too many drastic differences in terms of talent between the Portland Trailblazers and the Sacramento Kings. I mean, in terms of backcourt. Now, of course, Damian Lillard is an absolute superstar, and De'Aaron Fox is not there yet, so I don't want to disrespect him there. But that team, the Portland Trailblazers, are completely... Uh, they completely rely upon the play of their backcourt in uh, in both Lillard and C.J. McCollum, and the Kings, I think, can counter that or match that uh, with De'Aaron Fox and um, Buddy Heald, hopefully. And then you look at down low, Hassan Whiteside versus Marvin Bagley. I'm absolutely given the edge uh, to Marvin Bagley, especially when it comes to, you know, actually brains and a basketball IQ. Uh, so, honestly, I think those teams are a lot closer uh, then people think, and maybe that'll shine through this season. The Kings have their home opener against the Portland Trailblazers and then play the Trailblazers again in Sacramento in early November. So they'll get a chance to prove that and prove my theory correct or false right out of the gate. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Kings are jockeying for position 7, 6 seed, 8 seed range uh, with the Portland Trailblazers. You know, for whatever reason, I always count out the Trailblazers. I don't know what it is about the Trailblazers, but I always count them out, uh, and they always surprise me. So I am tempted to agree. I've always felt like they're the seventh of the seven favorites in the West. They always feel like that seventh team. And and man, if they were to finish above the Warriors, that would be a spicy, spicy situation indeed. But uh, any other ones you got for us, Matt? Yeah, I got two more for you, and we can uh, fire these off pretty quickly. The second one is, uh, and this one I believe is spicy. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is going to be an all-star starter. Uh, that I think he has the capability of becoming it. I'd say it's likely that he's not, uh, but I don't think that's super far-fetched to suggest that De'Aaron Fox has an all-star caliber year, really turns some heads, and, and fan voting. Uh, Sacramento rises up, and, and maybe some uh, fans from around the league recognize how good of a player and fun of a talent De'Aaron Fox is and start to uh, uh, vote on his side to get him into the uh, the starting five for uh, the all-star game. Uh, I certainly believe that he will be an all-star this year. The Kings are going to need him to be an all-star uh, if they want to be a playoff team. But yeah, De'Aaron Fox is an all-star starter. Let's make it happen. Whew. All right. Yeah, this one's real spicy here. Okay. So I had him as potentially an all-star for one of my takes. Starter feels like a stretch to me. So I looked at the guards from last year. You know, we have Steph, Harden, um, Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, Clay Thompson. I feel like Clay Thompson could get taken out. Russell Westbrook, potentially. Um, another guy, D'Lo made it in the East. He's going to be in the West now, obviously, in Golden State. I think less opportunity knocks him down. But then you're putting Fox next to Murray and Mitchell. I think that above Mitchell's a little difficult. I can put him above Murray, but a starter. Who do you think? Because I feel like Steph Harden are the two guards starting. Yeah, a lot of it is fan voting, and a lot of it is popularity contest, so it's going to be an uphill battle no matter what, uh, which is why this is as, as spicy as I can really get with this entire situation. But again, I don't think it's unheard of uh, for De'Aaron Fox to be under consideration up there. Who knows what kind of season Steph Curry has? Hopefully he doesn't get hurt, but he could get hurt. 
uh, the, the Warriors could have a pretty significant and steep drop off, uh, based off the fact that they no longer have Durant and Clay Thompson is out for a long period of time. And maybe they're just not as dominant of a team. And Steph doesn't look as dominant as he did over the last couple of years. But there's also the other side of that coin that Steph Curry's going to have a lot more opportunity to be the leading scorer on that team because they are lacking so much of that, uh, the, those points per game from last year. So maybe he explodes and is back to, Averaging 36 points per game. Who knows? Like, it's just so up in the air there. It's definitely an uphill battle, uh, for De'Aaron Fox, but I don't think it's absurd. And I believe that we will be considering Fox up in there with those superstars, uh, at that point guard, shooting guard, backcourt position, uh, in the Western Conference or just in the All-Star game in general at some point. Yeah. Well, you've done it, Matt. You, you have surpassed <laughs> our, our heat level without even breaking a sweat. Uh, it is, it is, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a take that I just can't see right now, just because of, you know, some of the comparisons made about Fox. Mike Conley has been a comp for him for a long time, and maybe we think of it uh, as Fox as, as Conley, but taking a step further, which certainly could allow that to happen. But Conley's a guy who, just because of the compaction in the West, especially among guards, he never made an all, he never made an all-star team at all. So, uh, at least not yet. So. It would certainly be, uh, it would certainly be surprising to see that happen, uh, but I love it. I, I'm so glad that we decided to go this hot take route, and it sounds like you've got one last one to, to take us out on. This one's not nearly as spicy, but I think there's some spice to it. Again, this is something I firmly, firmly believe can happen. Marvin Bagley wins the Most Improved Player of the Year award uh, at the award ceremony next summer. I mean, I, he's going to become a, a full-time NBA starter, and, and the Kings are hoping that he can be uh, a star and worthy of that number two pick. Like you said, you expect he could be a 20 and 10 guy. And if he is that, how is he not this upcoming season's Pascal Siakam? I think Marvin Bagley is, uh, as of right now, an early front runner for MIP. Yeah, I, I actually love that one. That one is, it, it's not too mild, not too hot. I think that one is just right for me. Uh, it's a great take. And, and yeah, like you said, I mean, it, it makes sense with the numbers. If he gets the minutes to do it, so often the, the most improved player goes to the guy that makes the biggest leap while also getting the biggest chance to make that leap on paper. Yeah. And, and I think we, we all agree that Bailey is going to get a ton more minutes, a ton more starts. It makes, it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I like it. I mean, why not? I do think it's medium. I think that, you know, pinning it on one guy, I don't know exactly off the top of my head who else comes to mind for taking this leap necessarily, but I think he will be in the race. So I'm definitely all for it. And I think that's all that you had, Matt. I mean, Rich, do you have any more you want to throw out there? I have maybe one or two if we still wanted to keep going with this. I'm pretty much good. I think the, the, I wrote an article uh, not that long ago saying that Harry Giles was a candidate for most improved players. So here I am violating my own. I have got two contradicting hot takes, one saying that he's being overhyped and one saying that he could, uh, if he does uh, uh, stay healthy, that he could take uh, an, a most improved player type of leap. But but what were the, the last ones that you had there, Brandon, you want to throw out there real quick? Yeah, I'll, maybe I'll just go with this final one is that, at the start of the 2020-21 season, Bogdan Bogdanovich will not be a Sacramento King. Ooh, Ooh I that like hurts. That I like that one. No, I think that's very, very possible. I think he's one of the best trade pieces and trade assets that they have, although they do view him uh, as a, a long-term player with this Kings core. But 
Bogey has a lot to prove this season, and in terms of a tradable asset, he's probably the best one that they're most willing to move on from. Uh, but the fan in me absolutely does not want to see that happen. Absolutely. So if you're out there listening to this and you've got yourself a spicy take, send it to us or send it to Matt uh, and make sure that you're following Matt on Twitter at Matt George KHTK. Make sure you are uh, reading him over there. Make sure you are listening to him uh, both on KHTK and on the Locked on Kings podcast. Anything else you'd like to plug while you're here, Matt? Uh, I think that is it, guys. Uh, thank you so much for uh, having me on. Also, just make sure you check out uh, all the Sports 140 KHDK content, both on air uh, and online, that we uh, we put out there covering the Sacramento Kings. We're about to get to the best time of the year when everything uh, gets going. So uh, make sure that you uh, keep us in your uh, Kings loop and check out Locked on Kings. Make sure you add that to your Kings podcast repertoire, but do not use it as a replacement for Kings Pulse. You can work both in, I promise you. Make it happen. Agreed. There is a need for some content there, and I think we are both doing great jobs there. Everyone, like he said, be sure to follow Locked On Kings and everything that he's got going on. Can't thank you enough, Matt, for coming on the show. And thank you to everybody that listened to this episode of the Kings Pulse Podcast. Like Rich said, you have any takes, please send it to us at Kings underscore Pulse, and you will hear from us again in the next couple days here.